Um, this morning we've got two Bible readings. First one is from Isaiah 55, verses 1 to 3. The second one is John chapter 6, 22 to 59. Um, the first Bible reading is on page 744, and it's Isaiah 55, verses 1 to 3. Come, everyone who thirst, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Um, the second Bible reading is John 6, verses 22 to 59, and that's on page 1075. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you are filled of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him... For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him, whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you, um, then what sign do, you do that we may see and believe you? What do you do? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from, the hev from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. But for the bread of God is, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I, should not, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. 
For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he not now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The, Jew, the Jews then disputed among, among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Well, there's a, there's a lot of bread talk there, wasn't there? Is anyone feeling hungry? Maybe you're on a carb-free diet and don't get the delights of a nice sourdough. But anyway, um, friends, if, if you've um, kind of hung out a lot with Jesus or, you know, what I mean by that is if you've listened to his words, uh, his teaching and um, read them in the, in the Bible, pretty quickly, I think, you realise that he actually says some pretty challenging stuff, doesn't he? Uh, you realise that he, he's not one to hold back and he just goes for the jugular. Uh, and, you know, I, I can guarantee you, if you haven't realised that yet, uh, read more because I'll guarantee you, he, if you follow and know the real Jesus, he will rub against you. He will challenge you. And at times, he will offend you. Uh, my question is, what do you do? in those moments? What do you do when Jesus, what his words are saying, offends you? An option, which many have done, is you just pick and choose the bits of Jesus that you like, uh, you know, the, the bits that offend you ignore, the bits that you like about, you know, love or whatever, maybe you go, yep, yeah, I like those ones. Now, it doesn't take too much of a reflection to realise 
if Jesus is the one sent from God uh, and, you know, and I just pick and choose the bits I want, am, am I treating him as the ruler, the king, the Lord, or am I just the one who's deciding what I think God should tell me? Uh, I don't think that's an approach, but uh, another option is you can just bail. You can just bail on the whole Christian thing because it is just too offensive. Uh, and just hear what he says and think, gosh, this is too difficult, too hard, I'm out of here. Uh, and, you know, you can do what many in society are doing, you can just cancel him, uh, simply because it offends. It is interesting that at the moment, as a society, we're unable to, um, to deal with people uh, who challenge our point of view uh, or might offend us in asking a question, isn't it? You know, now it's kind of deemed harm speech, uh, to talk about things where we differ. And, you know, I understand universities have all these safe places. But that kind of approach that when any, anyone says something that's harmful or potentially offensive or is offensive, it's not really a good approach to life, is it? You think about it, um, if you always ignore things that are hard, difficult uh, or offensive, will you ever kind of grow up? Will you ever mature? Will you ever... Um, you know, that kind of happens when you're challenged, isn't it? it? It happens when you learn new stuff. I want to say, in this passage today, Jesus is quite offensive. He, he's quite, he challenges this crowd of people that have flocked to him uh, to get bread. And uh, he engages with them and he loves them. He wants them to see the beauty of what he really is offering. And I think for us today, we, you might have just read it and thought, gosh, why is Jesus banging on about bread? But really, there's some deep things going on here for the crowd, and I think for us too. So the context which we've jumped into, uh, John 6, I have a map here, I think. Is there a map? It didn't come up. No, okay. Um, well, the context is just before uh, this um, discussion, this, this discussion we have, is Jesus had just performed two miracles. So if you have a Bible there, in John 6, beginning of chapter 6, you know, he is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. That's where I have the map showing, which you can picture uh, up there. And he's, he's been on the other side. Uh, he's fed uh, about 5,000 men. So in a, in a desert. Now that's with five loaves and two bread. You might be familiar with that. Now 5,000 men, uh, that probably means if you add women and kids, it's probably in the order of up to 20,000 people. Uh, then straight after that, if you have a look in your Bible there, at uh, verse 18 to 21, uh, he does the second miracle where he kind of walks on water as they head back to Capernaum. Now at this point... In uh, this story, in the story, Jesus is incredibly popular. Imagine twenty thousand people; uh, they all kind of seek Jesus. That's where we end up in verse twenty-four. There, uh, they, you know, they got in there. They, they realized he'd gone from the other side. They'd gone to Capernaum, and so they jump in boats and they head towards seeking Jesus. And then we get this discussion, twenty-five to seventy. And, and here he kind of explains the significance of the feeding miracle. He exp explains the significance of the bread, and he uses this bread metaphor a heck of a lot. Essentially, he's saying the same thing over and over again, but I think his language gets sharper and stronger each time. And it's in this sermon, if you like, where things really take a deep dive. 
I've got to say, it's probably the most unsuccessful sermon he's ever preached, right? Because by the end of the sermon, at verse 66, well, he finishes up in, um, well, finishes up by the end of the sermon, verse 66, all of the, the crowd are offended and gone, except he's only got his 12 disciples. So it's, verse 66, he says, after this, because of verse 60, because it's a hard saying, who can listen to it? After this, uh, the disciples, many of the disciples, the crowd turned back and no longer walked with him. See, what Jesus says to this crowd of people, even though they've seen him perform miracles, is so offensive that they go, we can't have, we can't be a part of this, and they walk away. Uh, even so, chapter 7, verse 1, they go on to want to kill him for what he's been saying. But not everyone is offended, right? Not everyone is offended here because there are a few who are actually drawn to Jesus. You have a look in that in sentence number 67 here. He says, So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So this morning we have the same words, the same two options that we can respond. Either you can find yourself being drawn to what Jesus is saying as words of eternal life, or you can be offended and turn, and be, and turn away from them. And I just want us to explore this morning, why? why did so many people turn away? Why is this so offensive for them? And I take it for us today. And so we're going to do that in two steps. Firstly, we're just going to quickly try and jump through the discussion and then secondly consider why is this so offensive okay with me okay verse 26 i want you to know straight away here that jesus challenges the crowd verse 26 and he criticizes them for their motives for seeking them verse 26 he says truly truly i say to you you are seeking me not because you saw the signs that's the 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 miracle he just did but because you ate your fill of the loaves you know, he's kind of calling them out for um, chasing down a free feed, right? You know, he's kind of saying, I know what you're here. You're, just, you're here because I've given you bread. You don't want me. You just want what I can give you, the bread. Uh, and he calls them out. He said, you know, it's, it's not actual uh, Jesus you're interested in. It's just you're here to be fed. It's like a lunch, you know, when you, you get a free meal from some organisation that wants you to sign up for their thing. I know when I was in engineering, they'd always put these on and uh, I'd always go for the free meal uh, and think I'll just listen and politely go along with and then get out of there. Uh, Jesus is calling them. Imagine that. They get there and, you, and the, the guy is trying to sell you something says, you're just here for the free food, aren't you? Like, yeah. Uh, but I'll listen to you anyway and leave. Uh, he calls them out and said, no, you're not actually interested in what I have to say or actually what the signs pointed to. You're just here for your belly. And uh, he accuses them, verse 27, of kind of focusing on the wrong thing. Have a look there. He says to them, you know, don't work for food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do? to be doing the works of God. And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So he's, he's having a crack at their motives for coming to him, for just being after bread. And then he says to them, you know what, there's actually more to life than just working, eating, drinking and food. In fact, you should focus on the spiritual things. You should actually focus on 
the, the food that leads to eternal life, that food, sentence 27, that endures for eternal life, which he says the Son of Man will give you. Have, have a think about that. Focus on where that might come. And they kind of miss that a little bit. They, they hear the work bit and they say, what must we do, Jesus? What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus says to them, well, it's not about what you do, it's actually about me. <laughs> it's actually about uh, believing, in sentence uh, 29, in believing in me. It's not about trying to be a good person and doing the works of God in that sense, but the good work he wants is just to believe. The, the, the way that we please God is to believe in Jesus. And you would think that they go, wow, that is great news. That's fantastic news, isn't it? Everything we do in life, it's all about working and achieving. Even in all other religions, it's about working and achieving. But here Jesus, he's given us a word that says, you know, the thing he wants us to do is just to believe, to believe in him. But they don't do that, do they? They're kind of offended and they say to him, well, hang on, who are you? Why should we believe you? Verse 30, have a look there. Verse 30, they said to him, then what sign do you do? that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? Now, given the context, that's nuts, right? You know, given the, these people have just been there, fed from five loaves and two fish. Uh, they've, he's, he's walked across the water and they say, come on, buddy, show us another sign. So it's not like the, the, the sign wasn't enough. You know, it wasn't like, oh, if, maybe if he fed a few more hundred people, uh, it's not like they're thinking you know what, Jesus, we all have our bread makers. We can make bread too. Now, what's going on for them? You know, well, they, they then take it to Moses and they say, well, you know, our father, grand, you know, our grandfather, Moses fed thousands of people for 40 years. Just give us some more bread, Jesus. The one-off thing, we want, we want, it, we want it continually, daily. Uh, and so instead of uh, being compared to Moses, Jesus says to him in sentence 32, it wasn't Moses who fed you. But it was God. See, this true bread isn't bread on the ground called manna. True bread is actually a person. It's me. And I've come to give you eternal life. And they hear Jesus and they've missed the point again. And they just say, yes, verse 34, yeah, give us that bread. We want more bread. So what does Jesus do? Well, he kind of ramps it up, doesn't he? He, he challenges them offends them even more and he says he uses this bread metaphor and he applies it to himself he says verse 35 which if you've been a christian for any amount of time a long time these would just be very familiar words he said to them i am the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst what's he saying He's saying guys the bread, that hunger that you want, I am it. I am the bread of life. It's not just another meal that I'm going to provide for you. No, you come to me and you will live forever. You'll, you'll never die of spiritual hunger or thirst. And just like physical bread meets physical needs, I am the true bread that will meet your spiritual hunger and I will quench your thirst. Now, when he says, I am... He is referring uh, back to an Old Testament statement there, isn't he? He's saying, he's saying something about himself. 
Uh, in Exodus 3, when, I don't know if you remember when um, Moses is run away from Egypt and uh, God calls him to go back to free his people who are in slavery under Egypt. And he says, who shall I say sent me? Uh, who, who should I say you know, is going to take them out? Uh, and he says to God, what's your name? And, and God says, well, you should tell them that I am has sent them. That is, God has sent them. And Jesus here is saying, I am the bread of life. Uh, he's saying that, you know, I am the one from God, the sent one from God. In me, you have life itself. Uh, verse 37, um, he goes on to say how secure you would be for all eternity if you'd come to Jesus. Uh, it, and it's God's will that if you come to Jesus, you are secure, you're assured of eternity with him. Verse 40, he says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall, should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. See, three times we are told that those who are, believe and follow Jesus, come to Jesus, it's his will that they be raised up on the last day. Eternal life, safe, secure and incredible. Now, at this point you would think, they'd be thinking, is this too good to be true? Really, this guy that's performed these miracles, he's telling me that he is the key to eternal life, to this spiritual hunger that I have for all eternity? You'd think they'd go, great, I want in. But, they don't, do they? Verse 41, what happens? They grumble. And they say to him, how, how, how can he say that he's the bread that came down from heaven? 42, isn't this Jesus? Isn't this Joseph, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say that I've come down from heaven? You see, they're kind of taking offence at what Jesus is claiming here, aren't they? They grumble. They're just like their fathers in the wilderness and they take offence and they say, this is just Joseph's boy. You know, our kids went to school with him. We celebrated his birthday party. He's just a normal guy. But you have to wonder, don't you, what is going on for these people? How can they be hearing these words of Jesus, yet these wonderful eternal words of Jesus, yet just continually grumble, question, put down? What's going on? How can they be a part of the signs and the very thing that, God had promised would happen, the true Moses would come, yet see it and grumble. Well, can I suggest, this is point two, why such great offences? Because they have a problem. And I, can I suggest, I think it's pretty straightforward, uh, it's, they have a problem in their head and their heart, and I think it's the same problem we have today too. So firstly, I, I've got two problems I want to reflect on. The first problem is that they're just concerned for the physical and not the spiritual, aren't they? That's part of their problem. They've just got their eyes fixed on the here and now, the physical, what they can see, and they're somewhat blind to these spiritual eternal realities. Let me, let me just show you, sentence uh, 46, the miracles didn't convince us, uh, that they didn't convince them, and Jesus says, uh, there's someone here, me, verse 26, who can feed you, uh, and the thing with this is, the signs in John's Gospel, there's seven or eight, definitely seven, maybe eight if you include the cross and resurrection, uh, but they are always there to point to something bigger than themselves. The signs are like pointers, uh, and really they're pointers to say, hey, this Jesus, he's doing like God-like stuff, 
Uh, he's feeding people in the wilderness like Moses did. He's fulfilling. He's a true bread from heaven. He walks on water. Uh, he's the one that has promised to have eternal life. Uh, but what happens? Oh, man, we just want some food. I'm hungry. I'm after some of that stuff that's for my belly. You know, it was, last, it was only yesterday that you fed me. Um, we, know who's, we know who this guy is. And they just can't see past the physical. Even though words of eternal life are being spoken to them, they're just dominated by their belly and their hunger. And we're the same, aren't we, in many ways? We're the same, just captured, enthralled by the here and now. Uh, this life uh, and the physical, it's all there is. Uh, I, when I run the life course, one of the questions I always get is, this, this all seems all right, but what, what does it really matter? Like, what does it really matter? What does it mean for us now? You know, what's behind that question is like, it's, it only, I'm only going to jump in and follow this Jesus if Jesus means something for us now. But friends, I think we all have these moments in life where you think, surely there's more to it than just this. Surely there's more to it than just working, eating, sleeping, you know, school drop-off, pickups, food, holidays, work, sleeping, eating, retire. Don't you have those moments? I mean, I do. I think it's because we, we all hunger for something deeper that satisfies, that you just don't find in the grind. We don't find in the daily grind, and we all have it. And that's because the Bible says because we're more than just physical. We're body and soul. We're spiritual. We're actually eternal beings who are created for eternal life. Uh, John 17 would say that eternal life is to know God and to be known by him. Each of us have a spiritual hunger and thirst because we're created for God to be in relationship with him. And that's why our experience of life, of just you know the here and now, the rat race, it never satisfies. And you wake up thinking, I thought this was going to satisfy, but it hasn't. And it's just the next thing, maybe that will satisfy. So whether it's what, whatever that thing is that you would chase to, to fill our hunger, you know, money, experience, clothes, fame, sex, they always leave us hungry and thirsty. And Jesus is saying, without him, you will always thirst for more and be hungry for more because our ultimate satisfaction is found in him. And so what, what's he saying? He's the one from heaven that has come down Jesus to meet our needs, to offer our spiritual hunger and, and provide it for us. The crowd, they can't see it. Often we can't see it because we just can't see past the immediate and just worldly thinking. But he does want to push deeper for us. This is the second thing. There's something deeper going on here for them. And it's not only that they're just worldly in their thinking, just thinking about the here and now, the physical, but it's actually that they're spiritually powerless to see Jesus. See, this is the second point I have to reflect on why it's so offensive, because Jesus is saying we're actually dead. We're, we're lifeless. We're, we're powerless to see, on our own, to see him for who he is. He kind of says the same thing in sentence 36 to 38, and then again in verse 43. And I want to pick up verse 43, how he responds to their grumbling. Verse 43, he says... Do not grumble among yourselves, and his answer is, why? Because no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. What's Jesus doing? They hear this amazing news, they're offended and grumbled, and he says, you know, it makes sense. 
Because you, you're on your own, unable to see these spiritualities or, or come and have any uh, spiritual insights. And the only reason any one of us can come, believe, and see Jesus for who he truly is, is because firstly, God has drawn them. Did you see that? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. See, there's a deep, profound truth that he's wrestling with here, that he's trying to show us, and they're finding it offensive. So he's saying that unless God the Father draws you to Jesus, you can't come to him. Unless God the Father gives you to Jesus, you won't come to him. The opposite is true as well. If God the Father gives you to Jesus, you will come to him and he will not let you go and you'll be eternally secure and safe. See, God the Father here is totally in control of salvation. He's totally in control of salvation. He is God. He gets to give his mercy and grace to whoever he wants. Can I ask you, does that offend you? Does that offend you? See, the underlying reality is the crowds, they were deeply offended by this. And they're, they're, they're um, anyone today because the, the truth is still the same. That we are spiritually lifeless. We are dead. And we can't see it because of our hearts. Now, I take it this doesn't remove our responsibility because uh, he calls us time and time again to believe in him. We make real decisions. God honours us enough to hold us accountable for our decisions. We're not powerless in that sense. Uh, but without God, none of us would willingly choose to come to Jesus. We would all choose to walk away. Now, I remember when I first kind of wrestled with these truths. I don't know if you guys have wrestled with these truths. I found it offensive at first. I found it hard. How, hang on, how can God... Choose, draw some and not others. Personally, that is that fair? And the picture I had in my uh, mind was kind of like people drowning in water, right? And, you know, they're putting their hands up, crying out for help. Help me, you know, and then God rocks up in this big cruise liner with plenty of room and space and he's like the captain that kind of goes, yes, you, not you. And so you've got all these people crying out to God for help and he just picks some. Uh, that was a picture I initially had. Can I say that's the wrong picture the Bible paints? It actually paints a picture that we aren't kind of, people aren't drowning, uh, putting their hand up for help from God. They're actually drowning as his enemies. It's like we're on a battleship that's going down and we're trying to shoot and fire torpedoes and guns at him and shake our fist at him while we're drowning, uh, while we're underwater. The Bible says that's, that's the position that sin puts us in, actually. It's, a, it's an enemy of God. It, it uh, makes us his enemy and against him by nature. And so we're blind to this truth and we're blind to our own sin. See, the reality is God owes us nothing. We are spiritually dead. We're spiritually enemies and stuck in our ways against God. And the only reason that some come is because God in spite of what we ask for, in spite of how we behave, he speaks to us in his grace and he brings truth and light and he draws us in. I, say, I know this can be a hard truth to swallow. 
But the beauty is that if you're here and you see Jesus for who he is, and you hear these words and you're drawn to him, and you think, yeah, he does bring words of eternal life. The only reason that response can happen is because God is opening your eyes and he's drawing you in. He's giving you to Jesus. He's enabling you. See, this doesn't leave any room for pride or boasting, does it, in the Christian? It's not like there's anything in and of ourselves why God chose us. It's because of his mercy and grace. We are spiritually lifeless. Have a look at how uh, verse 53 puts it. Quite graphically, he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Without eating and drinking of Jesus, we are dead. We are spiritually lifeless. But what does that mean? What does he mean there? I mean, it's a pretty graphic imagery, isn't it? It's a pretty graphic image. Uh, Firstly, can I say it's not talking about the Lord's Supper. Uh, This is before Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper. Uh, And actually, in context, if you take it as talking about the Lord's Supper, it actually goes against the very point that what is required of us, the work of God, is just to believe, then you are saved. Uh, It's actually talking about the very same thing the Lord's Supper talks about. They both talk about the same thing, and that is they're talking about the death of Jesus on our behalf. Uh, the death of Jesus on our behalf so that we might be reconciled to him. See, he has to work in us spiritually to draw us in, to wake us up to these truths because there is no life in in and of ourselves. We are hopeless and so he comes as the bread of life and he gives his life for us. Have a look at sentence 48 there. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give is the life, sorry, the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. God's answer to our spiritual deadness is Jesus. It's him giving himself up for us. And so that if you are in Jesus, if you come, if you believe, if you trust and feed of him, you have eternal life. Uh, verse 54, it has begun now and you will be raised up. Now I take it these truths are quite challenging for us as they were for them. But he, Jesus wants to tell us these so that he could show us his wonderful solution to our deepest problem. He, the wonderful solution to the only way that we can, uh, our hunger and our thirst can be met forever is in Jesus. Now you might be here and offended... Uh, by these things and think, this is, this is too hard. You know, it's a very bleak view of humanity, too pessimistic. Uh, I want to say, how do you know? Don't just dismiss it. Push into it. Think, is what Jesus is saying actually ring true? Am I in tune with spiritualities? Or maybe Jesus is right. Maybe I'm the one that's not. Have some humility and wrestle with it. Uh, Friends, many of us might know these truths to be true uh, and not find them offensive and we want to delight in the fact that God has worked in us for that. The delight that he has come to give us this life and have it freely. We need him to work in us to confront our worldliness. I think as I was reflecting on how this truth plays out for me in my worldliness is I can be tempted to make Jesus less offensive. 
I don't know if you share Jesus with others and you think, I reckon if I could kind of say this in the perfect way or emphasise this point, maybe more people would come to trust in Jesus. Can I say, Jesus doesn't have that approach here, does he? He almost goes the other way. And we can trust in the response that God brings because it's God's work. And so we, as we're sharing, let's not just try to be less offensive, let's just try to lovingly hold who Jesus is out to the world around us. The second um, response that you might have is that, well, if Jesus draws, then what's the point of what we do? Can I say that's not how the Bible frames it? The Bible frames it that he uses means and he uses people to share Jesus with others. That's the mystery of how God draws people in by people preaching, by people speaking the truths about Jesus and that they respond by coming to him. Friends, we need him to confront our worldliness in how we think about Jesus and how we think about life, but we need him to satisfy our soul, don't we? To know that eternal life that he will raise us up on the last day. It's a confronting word. At, at first glance, it might have just been thinking about it's all about food, but he's actually speaking some deep spiritual realities about the crowd that were there and about all those around us. And he does... I want to finish on um, just the promises of security and assurance that he has for those who see Jesus for all, for who he is. He says to them, if you come, if you trust and believe in Jesus, he will never drive you away. That just causes great thankfulness in my heart that it's not dependent on me, but that Jesus has me. And whoever comes, doesn't matter where we're from, you can come to Jesus the promise that he will raise up, that he will assure security that we will be there three times on that last day. And whoever comes to Jesus will never be lost. They'll never be cast out. Uh, they're, they're in Jesus. Friends, let's recognise what God is doing as a work of God. As he's drawn us in, or if you're confronted, uh, be glory to him and let's I'll pray for that end. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent Jesus down from heaven as the living bread. Father, thank you that you make yourself known plainly and that you alone, in the Lord Jesus, can satisfy our deepest thirst. That it doesn't depend on us is such a relief. Father, we pray that we would know your security and assurance that you will never drive us away. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be bold and share the same Jesus with all its rough edges, uh, that we would trust in you, that you would grant life to whoever. And please, we pray this, that you do this in us and in your world. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, there have been 